Yeah, well, this place gave him. I mean, this was salary plus everything else. You know? Actually, I should have rephrased that. You Which look at Ashkenazi. Ashkenazi, dude. He was probably like 16. Because you look Sephardi. There we go. But then he moved out there. I sat down with uh, match that on salary plus all with, with a man named this is a different Doyle. Out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but Irish. Big time. Irish Catholic. Ah. Yeah. That's not an old Doyle, huh? Yeah, so he, uh, <laughs> he, he, I mean, he's, he's just a regular guy, but he, he happened to put on the brogue when uh, we sat down. So he goes, so you're having a wedding, are you? Yeah. He goes, Jewish, I'll bet. <laughs> he goes, my brother just married a Jewish girl. Hey. And they hey, had a ceremony, hey. don't you know? I said, really? That's he goes, weird. Under the hoopah with the priest it was? Oh, that's disgusting. That's disgusting. <laughs> He's going through the whole thing. That's disgusting. Really? And I couldn't that's figure really out if he was kidding or not. And he wasn't. <laughs> Unbelievable. Right. Colby, good to see you, sir. Joshua. Good to see you. That's a very cool color. I like that. He just spilled a bottle of wine. That's right. It's usually white. 25 minutes ago. There it is. Good spreading. <laughs> well, well, in uh, in I keeping, watched it in wine after that. <laughs> in in contemplating uh, was Basra involved? <laughs> yes. Anyway, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, in keeping with our uh, theme of premarital uh, study classes, we will uh, go ahead and uh, try and give some wise counsel that perhaps you haven't heard, but you probably have. And really, only three guys are qualified. Well. I don't know that that's true, and I'm going to argue that for just a second, and then I'll uh, get on the bully pulpit here. So let's, uh, let us bless God, shall we? Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, Know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. For, uh, for the noobs, from what was I just praying? Sador. What does that mean? All it means to me is it's a prayer book. I don't know what it really means. A prayer book. Okay. What is it a prayer book of? Uh, prayers. Prayers. <laughs> Good. That's why we call it the prayer book. <laughs> yeah. Mean, He's from Texas. From the sages. What is this? It's from the sages. What are we talking about? They're collections of writings and blessings from Abraham, Moses, or Moses, not Abraham. I, I guess we could bring some back to Moses, but... Traditionally, most of them are coming from Ezra and the men of the Great Assembly. So to be on that back wall there, that's exactly right. And that one, I think, was was it Yossi would say that after after the after the study of the scriptures, yeah, or of the, of his sages, he would say that exactly. And um, some of those prayers are actually, according to the sages, all the way back to Hannah when she was caught. Moving her mouth, not making a lot of noise mm -hmm. before sin. The Elenu is. Uh, uh, I mean, Joshua. Eli. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of the prayers, of course, are compilations of scripture. 
if you look in your the Sador, best hits if you look in your Sador, you'll see the cross references in some pages it looks almost like a doctoral thesis it's like all these footnotes of all these different passages of scripture it's uh, almost like there's as many footnotes of the scripture passages as text itself there's one um there's one prayer in the morning the the majesty of god prayer i can't remember the name exact name of it but it's, it's very soaring and you know you have to stand up when you sing this right, right, prayer right. type thing and in that one literally i think like 90 percent of the lines yeah. are straight quotes weaved together that's exactly yeah. right yeah it's good stuff okay we open with a uh, with a joke This man writes, I took my dad to the mall the other day to buy him some new shoes. He's 66. We decided to grab a bite at the food court. I noticed he was watching a teenager sitting next to him. The teenager had spiked hair in different colors, green, red, orange, and blue. My dad kept staring at him. The teenager kept looking and would find my dad staring every time. When the teenager had had enough, she sarcastically sarcastically asked, what's the matter, old man? Never done anything wild in your life? Knowing my dad, I quickly swallowed my food so I wouldn't <laughs> choke on his response. I knew, I knew he'd have a good one. In classic style, he responded without batting an eye. Got drunk once, had sex with a parrot. I'm just wondering if you might be my kid. <laughs> <laughs> For those listening in Gastonia, it's the color thing, actually. So, okay, sorry. All right. The color ones are blue. The, um... <laughs> the Apostle Paul writes about marriage, but apparently was unmarried. I believe of the Apostles, um, St. Peter, as our Catholic brethren would say, is, uh, is the only one that we know is married, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, anybody? Mother-in-law implies marriage. Mother-in-law implies marriage, yeah. Um, kind of hard to get one without the other. But Paul gave tremendous mm -hmm. marital advice in Ephesians chapter 5, chapter 6. And, uh, and our master gave marital advice. And uh, I would hope, after hearing so much advice in this class over the years, uh, especially you, um, would all be able to give some word of wisdom that has hit home to you because maybe you heard it in a different way than Joshua has over the years or as uh, I don't know if all of you are aware but Joshua has already sought out many of the married men in our community and uh, has sat down one-on-one -on -one with them in order to get wise counsel on, uh, on marriage and, uh, and I'm proud of you for that. Praise God. So, uh, so I don't want you to hold back if you say something that's absolutely ridiculous, every married man in the room, that would be all both of them. Two of us would probably <laughs> tell you. Um, by the way, uh, I beg your pardon. You're right. I beg your pardon. I, it's He's just so easy. Father. It's easy for me to see you as <laughs> as just like as a guy. Yeah. Only way you're related. <laughs> that's right. Three of us, and I beg your pardon, please. Um, but I, I do want to. Uh, uh, bring a word from, uh, from Greg Upham. He really wanted to be here, but cannot because, uh, as Jonathan knows, he's been gone for two weeks because of the death of his mom. Um, so he's, 
literally underwater with work. But uh, uh, I'm confident if you haven't already gotten with him, he will get with you. So, and we will see him at the wedding the day after tomorrow. Actually, now that the sun is set, I just want you to know you're getting married tomorrow. No pressure. Cool. Actually, actually, actually not. Getting married the, the marriage is technically happening. After, after sundown. sundown. We're Good starting. Thing. I think we're having our whiskey this is the shots. Last, this is the last full day. Of That's singlehood. True. That's exactly That's right. Wow. I was talking to a client today and told him that my, uh, my second daughter was getting married on Thursday. And he said, oh, you mean Mary? <laughs> that I made said, me laugh. I said, no, no, Mary was just here taking pictures. She's joining a convent next week. <laughs> She'll be out with <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Can I do something really unorthodox? Uh, no, orthodox is always. Unorthodox is <laughs> fine. Heretical would be a problem. Okay, um, and actually start off my own advice session. <laughs> that Absolutely. is that's okay. a secret thing. I just was reading through Ephesians chapter 5 tonight, and something stood out to me that I had never noticed before that that was really cool. And that was in talking about how Messiah loved the assembly and how as men we should love our wives. Yes. It actually goes through an entire long passage about Messiah purifying his wife. And then it says... Even so, men, love your wives as your own bodies. The implication being that the way that you should love them should be in such a way that they will cause them to grow in Messiah and become more like him. And then the words after that says that no man ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it. Well, those two words are only used twice. Once um, the word nourish is used twice in Ephesians. Um, and it's interesting because the, the first one is that one with the wife, but then the second one is with children. And it actually carries the idea of maturing, growing up, bringing up. Mm. So it's almost the idea of like, you're talking about nourishing your own flesh, it's like giving yourself a workout. You're going to make yourself a better person, but you're going to do it in a way that's going to be, you know, gentle and effective. Um, and then cherish, the word there is only used one of the time outside of that reference, and that's in Thessalonians. And that one is reference to actually a mother caring for a nursing child. So we see this two concepts of how we would take care of ourselves, both the maturing process, which can sometimes be more painful, and then the nurturing, caring, gentle process, which, um, you know, if you ever step your foot on something, you're going to be, you're not going to want to like, you know, smack your foot again because you're mad at it. You're going to you want to take care of it. Um, so it's sort of that interesting, that kind of that balance. But I found it just so intriguing to think about it in, in those terms, not in like, oh, well, I love her, so I want to always make her happy, or I love her and I want to... Um, you know, do whatever she wants. It's more the idea that um, we have a goal together and I'm supposed to achieve that goal in as gentle and kind a way as I can. Excellent. Excellent. I think that uh, if you begin your marriage recognizing that you are responsible, you start out on a, on a better footing than guys who walk in blindly thinking it's a 50-50 deal mm -hmm. or I'm just here because it feels good or whatever it may be. So that's, uh, that's outstanding. Excellent. Well, let me, uh, let me do the bully pulpit here. And uh, I have a bet on with my son that I'm actually not going to say the phrase that I used in the last time I did this with that son-in-law. And you know that uh, what I said then was, Fix it. It's your fault. Fix it. It's your fault. Exactly right. I didn't say it. I just repeated well, what you said. I just repeated what they said. Starting now. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm not, I'm not going to say that.
Um, what I actually yeah. did was uh, I wrote, I wrote, normally I would just speak from my heart as I do on Tuesday nights, um, but I wrote from my heart yesterday so that I could read it and stay within the time boundaries so that other men have an opportunity to speak. Um, so if I look down a little bit and I look like I'm reading, it's because I am, um, and I just want to make sure I get the wording right, I don't miss anything, and I don't add um, 40, or take away. 40 minutes of uh, un extraneous uh, chatter. So uh, here we go. So we live in a day when what we say is almost meaningless. Especially with young people. Not exclusively, but commitment means very little. Yes, I'll do that. You really really don't know that that's going to be the case. It really is almost meaningless. Gregory and I were recently discussing time commitments and the difficulty we have in saying no to certain aspects. It's a two-edged sword, a balancing act that's extremely difficult for men. On the one hand, we want to be responsible with our time. We don't want to overcommit, possibly never doing anything at all for our family, our community, our city, whatever the case might be. On the other hand, we want to be involved in our faith, our family, our community, our job, our neighborhood, yet both rich and poor are all given exactly the same amount of time, the same amount of hours each day. So some people, some men, say yes to everything. They never say no. They're known for being so active in the community, involved in the town. They're members of the PTA. They're on the board of this and that. They're meeting and greeting with important members of society. They're walking for diabetes research or sitting at the election polls, getting assigned in on election day. They're deacons or elders at their church. They're the silent worker bees behind the scenes, feeding the poor at 4 a.m. They're hanging the decorations before everyone arrives at whatever event. They're they are those who are ever-present, and their very present presence brings expectations of involvement in ministry, in work, and in valuable, necessary tasks for the body of Messiah. It's a good thing. But sooner or later, unfortunately, it appears that there's been an erosion in the fabric of their lives, silently taking its toll through the years. The unraveling begins quietly, but the symptoms are unmistakable. I'm over 50 years old. I've been in the church all my life. I've seen these symptoms time and time again. As I've grown older, I've been on the counseling side of these things. Here's some of the symptoms. A teenage son is mysteriously hospitalized in another town. The wife looks worn out and discouraged all the time. The ever-present yes to a call for involvement begins to have a lot of baggage associated with it. Scheduling becomes nearly impossible. Work hours begin to increase. The sound of laughter in their home is sadly missing. Singing is a pastime that is never shared. <clears throat> Appointments begin to slip. Angry outbursts are noted. And then the charade is over. The false smiles are dropped. 
The always together couple are noticed more frequently with one spouse missing. Excuses are made about this and that, and one spouse finds a hearing in a particular group, and the other may or may not. One spouse is painted as a problem, the other is painted as a victim. The counseling starts and ends, and then they separate. Divorce follows with such regularity that law firms can now specialize in these matters, and movies can make millions describing the same sad story retelling with famous actors and actresses. But that's a lie. That's a lie that we've invented. While the examples I gave are all noteworthy and high callings, the fact of the matter is that many are either contrived replacements for true faith, or in some cases, they're deceptions disguised as righteousness. I'll say that again. They're contrived replacements for true faith, or in some cases, deceptions disguised as righteousness. What can stop this terrible cycle? Distractions are normal. They prove the metal of a marriage. They tug at the seams of our married lives, seeking the inevitable tear. But what turns these distractions into delightful tales to tell at the dinner table? Because I can tell you, he does that. So do I. And so do the other members of our community that have been married over 20 years. What turns that? What makes those distractions funny stories about mom and dad at the dinner table rather than an unraveling? You remember Fiddler on the Roof. You pull on the thing and it, where does it stop? Where does it stop? <clears throat> I tell you the truth, there is no power. There is no power on earth that can make your marriage fruitful, pleasant, and enduring. There is no power on earth that can make your marriage pleasant, fruitful, and enduring. There is no marriage gene that you may inherit from marital bliss. It is hopeless, absolutely hopeless, if you approach marriage with the worldview being preached in churches today and promoted by the media. It is hopeless if your faith is characterized by letting go and letting God. It is hopeless if the relationship with your bride, with your bride is based on sex, looks, or anything measurable on this earth. I'm going to say all those again. Because we've got people listening that live in Gastonia. It is hopeless if you approach marriage with the worldview being preached in churches today and promoted by the media. It is hopeless. Your marriage is hopeless if your faith is categorized by letting go and letting God. And it is hopeless if the relationship with your bride is based on sex, looks, or anything measurable on earth. The only hope, the only hope, is to approach marriage as a continuation of your own walk with Messiah Yeshua. 
the goals for which we strive, the righteousness for which we work, not salvific, but practical righteousness, the end game of multi-generational faithfulness for which we hope must be in view as we step under the hoopah with the help of our helpmate. If we've started wrong, we must make a course correction early or we're doomed. Face it, men, in this world, in this culture, in these days, with every other marriage, 50% or more failing to go the distance, we must steel ourselves to own the relationship and its focus. We cannot marry for happiness. We cannot marry for good times. We must marry to improve the opportunity to fulfill the goal. And the goal is to sanctify his name throughout all the world and to raise up a godly generation that will change this world and prepare for the coming of Messiah. That's the goal. If there's another goal, you are doomed to fail. I guarantee you. The odds are so stacked against you, it's hopeless. You will fail. If your desire is to demonstrate your faithfulness and love for God by being obedient and by raising up a godly generation able to stand alone in a crooked and perverse generation and you take a bride to help you meet that goal, your marriage cannot fail unless you're an idiot. But that's why God provides community. Because we'll tell you. You're being an idiot. <laughs> That's the goal. That's the key. And I realized this past week, that's why he and I get along. Because his goal is the same as my goal. And that's to raise up men like you and women like my daughter. That's the ultimate goal. It's, it's not a vacation ranch in the Sahara, a tall mountain cabin somewhere in the North Carolina mountains. That may come. That may happen. But that's not the goal. And if either one of us were to die penniless with godly, God-fearing children who are raising godly, God-fearing children, we've succeeded. Most of the sages we read about died very poor. But they impacted the world. And that's what I want more than anything. And that's why when you asked me if you could marry my daughter, I didn't have to think about it twice. Because you come from stock that's been raised with the same goal in mind. It's not about now. It's about the next generation. I'd leave you with one example of several to encourage you to focus and make time choices and decisions with a long-range view. We regularly review the demands of Torah obedience, which we've accepted as servants of the Holy One, blessed is he. This class is a meeting of men striving for excellence in their walk, accountability in their lives, and encouragement of like-minded 
faithfulness. We speak of the raising of children, the attributes and the habits of the tzaddik, the righteous man. Yet there's a man in our community who's only been here once or twice. Some have asked me if I've approached him regarding his lack of engagement in this class. I knew Scott Martin before he met, before uh, he and Suzanne had children. I have discussed child rearing and multi-generational faithfulness with him long before I knew anyone in this room. I also know that Scott Martin would love to spend an evening in the company of good men like you. Scott has a singular focus and vision with his bride, and that is to raise up a generation of Torah-obedient children that will stand alone in a wicked and perverse world, able to live the faith of our fathers with integrity and righteousness, to be world changers. Why would you wonder why he's not here? He is about the master's business. You've all met Scott's children. Are they not astoundingly raised? Scott is staying at home, doing the work of righteousness at this time. So far, so good, Scott. Keep up the good work. This is curious. <laughs> Scott is at home, raising his children in godliness his name is actually an English contraction of Prescott. That's where his name comes from. Prescott means priest's cottage in Old English. I really want to encourage you. There is nothing special about being a great husband. There's something really, really special about having the mindset to remain a great husband. I have never, ever met a single couple that got married with the intention of separating or divorcing afterwards, not one. Every person I talk to has gone to the altar with the intention of till death do us part. Every one of them, even pagans. What's the difference? The difference is the focus. How you work out all the intricacies, that's what you've been finding out and learning from the other men over these past months. What keeps it going? It's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's that goal to the end. And I can tell you, at the point I am in my life, and now he is, it doesn't end when your kids move out. It just changes the flavor and it's all brand new and then the grandchildren begin to come 
And if he did it right, he'd get to influence the grandchildren. I'm convinced that Noah, Shem, Cham, Yafet, Methuselah, all these guys were dealing with these other young ones coming up and passing on the faith and making sure there was multi-generational faithfulness. If there wasn't with them, you would be most pitied because you would be lost and without hope in this world. Because without their multi-generational faithfulness before you, you would never know a Messiah. It would be an impossibility. Okay. I'm done. How did I do on time? 20, 30 minutes. Okay. Um, instead of going around the room putting you on the spot, if you've got something to say, and we'll defer, of course, to Rick first if he wants, um, give this man some counsel. <laughs> and. Well, I mean, uh, Joshua's, I've probably shared uh, more than Joshua ever wants. Tones. Tons and tons. Um, but I echo a lot of what he said. And uh, the Bedtime Shema contains uh, mm. Psalm 130. And it, it is, it encapsulates this concept of multi generational uh, faithfulness. And uh, it, all, it always, it doesn't, you know, the, you know, even though the scriptures do talk about being a good husband and everything else, you know, the goal is not merely to be a good husband, the goal is to be a a worthy servant of the king. Amen. And and that's what Psalm 130 talks about. If you are a worthy servant of the king, it says your your children will be like olive shoots throughout your table. And and uh, you will have your children's children uh, blessing him. Amen. So I mean we we recognize that that uh, it's it's far more um, I was looking for Psalm 130 in here so do I can't find it. But uh, bedtime Shema, do we have bedtime Shema there? Should be, yeah. Go to, did you go to table count? Yeah, that's what I was looking. You, you don't want to just read it from the, the whole thing. Do you have it there? I do. Well, I was going to read the article. Hang on. I, I appreciate I'll, the I'll article tell you what it is. So Hang, on. Yeah. Hang on a second. It's page 279 in the art scroll, so. I don't think it's in bedtime shot smoke. Yeah. Two thirty five. Go to the your um, go yeah, to your table oh, contents. Bless well, you. Let me if you don't mind if I can read that. Um because I you know it's a it's a uh Do you find? Or you need mine? It's not one twenty eight. One twenty eight. One twenty eight, I'm sorry, I said one thirty. There's no shame what we do in the morning. Um You got? Yes. A song of the sense. Praiseworthy is each person who fears Adonai, who walks in his paths. When you eat the labor of your hands, you are worthy. You are praiseworthy, and it is well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the inner chambers of your home, your children like olive shoots surrounding your table. Behold, for so shall be blessed the man who fears God. May Adonai bless you, from, bless you for Zion, and may you gaze upon the goodness of Jerusalem all the days of your life, and may you see children born to your children. Peace upon Israel. Amen. The, the, you know, and and being, a, being a good husband is obviously is part of that, that whole package of, of being a faithful servant. Um, the only caution is, as you seek to imp 
improve, knowing that your task is to improve everyone around you. Remember that uh, your wife is the most dear and the most close to you, and uh, therefore the um, you have a whole lifetime to improve each other. Amen. Don't be in a hurry to improve her right away. Or she may get offended. <laughs> More than offended, it's, it's not. It's just not healthy. Uh, recognizing, however, that when you when you say to improve someone, you're not saying like, okay, here's the flaws, and this is where we need to, you know, improve your flaws or eliminate your flaws. But rather, and this is, I remember, Adam, you remember, you remember asking me, you know, several years ago, you know, what can I do to, you know, make myself prepare myself for marriage, even though I don't know anybody yet. And my my advice to you then was. You prepare to be a, the husband you should be today, even though you don't know who she is. Mm-hmm. And it's that same thing. If you are preparing yourself to be the husband, you are improving your wife. So it doesn't take a, identifying the flaws or even identifying the strengths and trying to elevate them. It simply implies that if you will do your job of being the best husband you can be, you will be improving your wife. I mean, Joshua, how... Uh... How deep does one dig a two-man foxhole? You get a buddy. You're in the army. It's a military team. And you're going to dig a foxhole. You've been paired with your buddy. How deep? How deep do you dig it? How do you know how deep to make it? Is it the, the length of the shovel, or no? No. Here's an example. I'm assuming the depth is going to say not twelve feet. (laughs) You're not going to stand there. No, he's not really tall, nor am I. But I'm taller than him. So if you stand him or him by or him by us, they're even taller. So if the two of us are supposed to go in a foxhole and we're supposed to be able to shoot at the enemy, how deep do we determine we got to go to make the foxhole? Especially if I don't have a stool. I mean, that would be problematic. The answer is armpit deep to the tallest man. And it goes along with what your dad just said. You build it to one, but you fit it to both. Mm -hmm. So you find a rock where you leave a clump of dirt at the bottom so the short guy can get his elbows out of the foxhole. But it's still one foxhole. One man sleeps, one man watches. It's the same way in marriage. If, uh, if we try and push that string, it bunches up. Mm-hmm. But if we pull the string, it all follows right behind. You're not responsible for your wife's <coughs> growth but you are responsible to lead her to growth. Big difference. But like you said, all that's going to do is provide a little more harmony along the path to that end result. But it is definitely a team thing. Good. Good counsel. Good counsel. Along those same lines, I think it was... The other married man in the room. Yes, yeah. I know it doesn't seem that way. <laughs> it does. You oh, are good. quite okay. bearded. It does. Uh, yeah, that, that was one of the intentions behind the beard. 
I think it was either Tim Hegg or, and I know Joshua Nunez mentioned something about this too, but along those same lines, it was, I got received some really good counsel before I got married about seeing your wife's flaws as a mirror and them, the flaws in her literally just being reflections of your own flaws mm. and how so often they are exactly the same and that before pointing out something in her that you first work on whatever it is in you. Wow, I, I think I, I heard a Actually, sage talk about that. Actually, I point out the flaws. <laughs> By the time you get around to it, your flaws will be gone. Yes, and that's, <laughs> that, that was more of the point. Is isn't, that, isn't that exactly what the master said? Before <laughs> you point out the plank, that's right. oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's exactly take the plank out of your own. Yeah, exactly. And and that it's it's really interesting because sometimes you know you, you have the best intentions when you see something you, you just mention something off the cuff, but a lot of times it is not the most helpful and there, there's been a, at least one or two times I can think of one or two times that I can think of that it was like I stopped based on that advice and just thought okay I'm, I'm just gonna maybe maybe I'm yeah, something as little as like maybe not putting something away after you use it or something like that and I realized I do that worse than she does and so you know I try to fix something like that and then, sure enough, I never have to mention anything. So that was a, a really nice piece of, of advice that I received, and it has remained true. And I am right there along with you, receiving the various wisdom from the men around us. Well, I, That's let me let me just encourage you that, that, that if I'm out of out of line, let me know. But I'm sitting here, and I bet he is too. We always want to hear good counsel about how to improve our marriages. You, I, don't, I don't expect that I'm ever going to get to a point where I've got it down to such a science that I don't need to learn anything more about how to relate better with my wife. So, that's, And that's good advice. is very good advice because ironically, some of the most hurtful things that you can say are over the smallest things. Absolutely. And if you think about it, it's the way that the human mind and the relationships work. If you're silent about something for a long time, and you just mentioned it in passing as a small thing, the, imme the immediate response of the other person is, all this time it's been bothering you, and now you bring it up, something really must be wrong about it. I'm serious. <laughs> so it's, it's oftentimes the most hurtful thing is the smallest thing that you bring up, because you've been silent about it in the past. Mm. So it's been a stone in your shoe. So instead of, that's exactly right. So instead of, it's that small thing. It's like, well, yeah, I do that small thing too. That's a that's very good advice. That's good. I'm writing that one down. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, well, the other thing I was going to, uh, going to mention was really just a compliment to you. I was so encouraged and so impressed to see the first example of what you would potentially be like in your own home with your wife having people there and the fact that after all was said and done and before anybody left you prayed and thanked God and sanctified your home and blessed him for the many blessings that he bestowed upon you that was so telling of what your marriage is going to be like and how there that that is just it's it's amazing how impressive that is actually because 
sometimes even commandments to pray after we eat are hard to remember, let alone a random situation where you just happen to be in an apartment. So the more that you implement that in the mornings before you leave work, at night before you both go to bed, just thanking God and praying like that, wow. I mean, that is, that's going to be incredible. So that was, that was really neat. I can tell you from personal experience, having prayed before hundreds, your prayer was extraordinary. And when I got back here, I was dancing in the garage. (laughs) And Juliana said, she knew. She goes, quite a prayer, huh? I said, you know, I, I, got, uh, I got hit up by what I thought was a pagan once. I had prayed over a, a large gathering, and uh, when I was done, he came up to me and said, wow, that was so eloquent. It was so powerful. It was so biblical. Wow. And I said, oh, I've been practicing. And I was trying to encourage him to spend more time in prayer, but it was obvious that you had. And it was really neat. Very cool. I've been impressed your bride as well. Okay. Ooh, the secret's out. Ooh. (laughs) Yes, yes. The the one other thing that that I just, this was confirmed by this little TED talk that I heard today about the psychology of happiness, but how... It, what was really interesting about it was that it was very biblical and how it, it, is, um, it is applied to my own experience in marriage. But it was basically how in life, most of the time, the sequence uh, is backwards. Usually we think, all right, I just need to do this and then we'll relax. Or I just need to do this and then we'll be happy. If, if we could just get out of debt, then we'll be happy. If we could just... And you're always setting new signposts ahead of you and happiness is always on the other side of it and you never really achieve it and of course the biblical model is be content with what you have don't even worry about what's in the future don't even worry about tomorrow and you will be blessed all those things will be added unto you and you know just the a couple scripture verses that sort of are, are i mean everybody knows these but it's just you know proverbs five eighteen: may your fountain be blessed may you rejoice in the wife of your youth and Ecclesiastes 9.9 9 is also just really helpful. Enjoy life with the wife you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. And it's just, it's, it's a really simple concept, but you'll see as ambitions start to arise, as you, you begin to develop routines and you, you keep pursuing more of this and more of that, you always have to stop yourself and just say, I, and remember that I am happy in my place right now. And always just be thankful and, and bless God for the portion that he's given you at the time instead of always looking forward to something that you might not get down the road. And never sing somewhere over the rainbow. <laughs> Actually, Galatians, uh, Paul writes that godliness with contentment is actually great gain. Guys, I don't know about you, but that's a promise I want to jump on with both feet. Mm -hmm. I'm ready for the great gain. 
Godliness, he's given me what I need to do. Contentment, I can work with that. I just bring it up. Bring it up. <laughs> yeah, the, um, just to tag into that, Rabbi Levin in his book, Buried Treasure, talks about the idea of happiness. And I believe, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something like, um, happiness is a choice. That's it. I was actually going to make a comment on that book by that <laughs> rabbi. So I'll just go ahead and lead into it. But an awesome thing, <clears throat> he was talking about being, about obligation. And the story he wrote about was a famous friend of his in Hollywood who, couple's been married for over 20 years. Um, wife was very sick from the very first year. And the wife calls him crying, saying, my husband doesn't love me anymore. Trying to console her, nothing's working. She's very sick, bedridden sick. So finally he ends up saying, well, when's your husband gonna be home? Then he shows up to the house. She's crying, my husband doesn't love me anymore. He goes, what do you mean? Your husband has been with you for 20 years and taken care of you, cleaned up after you. Who cares if he loves you? He's committed to you. And to me that changed the mindset of being happy, being in love, which is what you get from the outside world is that you have to be happy and you have to be in love to be married. Yeah. Once the happiness of the love is gone, there's no point in being married. I, I, I should find somebody else that fulfills that. Yeah. And what we've learned from Torah is it's an obligation to that person. Yeah. And that was the biggest thing for me because in my mind, hmm, always until two years ago when Christine and I started talking to each other and realizing what, how we felt about each other and then that mindset started to change. And then I read the Bird Treasure book, but it was instead of trying to find somebody that I thought would make me happy for the rest of my life, finding somebody I wanted to be obligated to. That's right. What a great perspective. Yep, very good. And you, by the way, the love comes from commitment. Mm -hmm. It sure does. Yeah. It's not the other way around. Yeah, it's the same kind of concept that what you, you, you're trying to get something before you do the work for it. <laughs> yeah, you know, people think you get the warm fuzzy first. You get the warm fuzzy way after the commitment. Yeah, oh, <laughs> and that, there's just countless. And those two warm fuzzies are nothing alike. Yeah, Morgan, <laughs> Morgan reads this blog from this Orthodox Jewish woman and it's the same kind of concept, just time and time again. She has tons of stories of all these matches that are made where the two people hardly even talk to each other the match for the first forever? year. Well, not, not like anyone famous, um, not, the, not any famous matchmaker, but this just this Orthodox Jewish girl just interacts with a lot of couples. And it is the exact thing that you were saying, that five years later, they're just all over each other. Well, not, not literally, but you know, like... Emotionally, privately, you never know. Well, yeah, but they, they just they are so in love, and you can see it, and and everybody sees it, and it's it's like well, people that boggles their mind. How is that even possible? But, it didn't but, start that way at all. But you know what? That's that's the lie that's out there in the culture today. That that kind of growth in emotion and relationship cannot happen in our type of world. And I can tell you, and again, you know, I'm, I'm deferring to the guy who's been married for two, three years longer than me. I look at my wife today and I get asked by some numbnut, 
would you marry her again? I mean, if you had to do it all over again, <laughs> would you marry her again? Yeah, and you just want to smack him and go, of course, what's wrong with you? I mean, it's better now than it ever was. Because we can sit down on that couch and reminisce until the cows come home about everything we've done together and been through together. And, and, and that's, that's what dinner time conversation is about. And it's happening just like that couple that got married that didn't even know each other. And five years later, they are so in love. I, I can tell you that most people in America get married totally in love. And five years later, they wonder what they did. They second guess their commitment. The seven-year itch used to be a big deal because that's when a man 30, 40, 50 years ago would start to question and look at the younger women just seven years ago and question his commitment. But if you married for different reasons, it's, it's like, okay, wait, he created me and then he created her with me in mind. And we're walking through to the end of this mortal coil together. That's a completely different mindset than you hear. That's the only pep talk you should ever need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To use really? a very silly analogy and oversimplify things extremely. Which is I, good I for think, men. I think it was Paul Newman or, or somebody like that when oh, somebody asked him, go. like, what, wait, how is it that you've stayed committed to one woman when you're the heartthrob of, of America and, and everyone wants to be with you? And he said, well, you don't go out for hamburgers when you have a steak at home. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so telling. I've actually used that. And, and it's so true because it's like you don't even, it, nothing else matters because it's not about the looks. That's it's right. not about sex. Right. It's not about the material things anymore. And you don't see that in anyone else. You don't see the wonderful things that you have with your wife in any other woman because you're not close enough with any other woman Precisely. to find those things out. Exactly right. And it makes me wonder if out in the world people are using the sex, the looks, and all these other reasons to try to get uh, what people who base their foundation on God, on Messiah Yeshua, you know, to get what they have. Yeah, it's a get-rich-quick scheme. You know, yeah. it's like getting rich quick. It's like, how can I get it now? I want it right. now. I don't want to have to earn it. And it, yeah. what Joseph's describing is something you earn. Over time. Earn that relationship. Over time. Work. It is work. I mean, we, we talk work about work. Because you know the goal. It's like, who, you know, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We have exactly the same perspective. You know, it's like, okay, we can put up with, you know, I can put up with her, she can put up with me because we know that commitment has long-term benefit. Mm -hmm. And it's a long-term yeah. commitment. Yeah. When I had been married for three years, I was absolutely in a coma. Going to work every day, I had an absolutely breathtakingly, distractingly attractive bride. You may not see her that way any longer like that. I still do. And uh, she cooked 
fabulously. We had a great physical relationship. She cleaned house. She was like the ultimate partner. That came bebopping in one day. Three years we've been married. And I looked at her and I said, sweetie, are you happy? <laughs> and she looked at me and she goes, happy? No, I'm not happy. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe that divorce was a sin. Happy? Are you nuts? And she walked away from me. Oh. What was I thinking? <laughs> Lesson learned. Don't ask. <laughs> I tell you what. It woke me up that having the beautiful bride who was very accomplished at a lot of things, not everything, but a lot of things, was fleeting. Like trying to catch the flame on the candle. And I was scared to death that the longevity in marriage that I had seen in my parents and my parents' parents and on my my mother's side, my her, her parents, was going to be gone and I was going to become a statistic. I was scared to death. And I purposed to change. And I got to tell you, I'm a man's man. But I didn't, I didn't have the chutzpah, the cojones, to ask that woman that question again for almost 10 years. <laughs> and at one point, and we've been married almost 15 years, I looked at her and I said, uh, it was, I was on our anniversary. <laughs> Timing is stuttering at this point. Timing is very important. I got, second bottle of I got the candles lit, the wine is poured. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, would you, um, uh, uh, are, are you, uh, and she cut me off and she grabbed me around the neck and she looked me deep in the eyes and she said, I just want you to know I am the happiest woman on the planet because you make me feel loved and accepted and I can't wait to see what God's going to do in our lives. And that's when I realized from the very beginning, guys, I married up. From the very beginning, she had the long-term okay. view. She wasn't going anywhere. Because she married an ass. <laughs> hey, sometimes it hurts. <laughs> and she needed to wait for him to grow up and learn what it meant to be married. To learn what it is to be a godly husband, a godly father. I ask her all the time. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Twenty nine years last week. We're doing good. I'm pleased. Other comments. This is so helpful for me too. I'm so glad you're getting married. <laughs> yeah. Do this more often. Scratch that. That's it. Although that being said, we we could have. More weddings. <clears throat> yeah. well, we've already, we've already, got, yeah. already got one on the calendar now, and you never know what God's going to bring in the next To two, all the ladies who are cheating and listening to this <laughs> yeah. right now, I am seated with one, two, three, 
four eligible young men. Amen. Just wanted to point that out. That's exactly right. Behind door number one, we. Have. <laughs> I can I can tell you that the uh, the class we did um, just before Gregory got married is the most downloaded, the most requested, and the most what was listened the to. It's <laughs> <laughs> my son-in-law. I wasn't here. Could you just repeat? <laughs> <laughs> one more download. It was, uh, it, it was powerful. I, I, again, he was the bully pulpit, but then after that, I, I think we had, what, four, if not five men stand up that had, that had all been married over 20 years mm-hmm. to give counsel as well and, and dovetail into what I had said, and it, it was extraordinary. Um, strongly recommend that class, and I, I hope that uh, those listening, even in Gastonia or Canada, Ake, um, We'll, uh, we'll get as much out of it. Uh, we actually do have a lot of uh, young families that listen in other parts of the world, and, uh, and they have younger kids, teens, young teens, smaller children and whatnot. So. There was an awesome point from that class. Um, I can't remember who said it. It might have been Mr. Gordon, but it was about... Um, in our society... Even as men, we joke around with each other and say things. Oh, you do that and this is going to happen. And someone during the class said, never, under any circumstances, joke with your wife and say, oh, well, you do that. It's over. And it has, I remembered it in Christine and I's relationship where I joked about something, something silly about, oh, you cooked that and it's over. And it was a joke. And then I started to think about it. And I came back and I had to apologize to her because no matter what, if she said something like that small to me, I know how it would make me feel, regardless of whether she's kidding. But the point in a conversation was, not only is it hurting them, but eventually you say it enough, they're going to start to think it's true. That's right. Mm-hmm. Or if they don't, you're going to start thinking it's true, and it's going to plant that seed. That's exactly and that, that was one, a big That's point to me, because a lot of times we, people in the outside world, they joke and say little things right. and they poke at each other all the time. Or, 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 and then they do it in public. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, you're really getting a divorce? Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna trade you in. Right. You're, you're 40 now. I'm going to trade you in on 220s. You plant that seed and it's over. Yeah. There's, there's one, yeah, one thing that you're supposed to absolutely, biblically mandated to provide to your wife. What is it? There's one thing she's supposed to provide to you. What is she? What are you supposed to provide to her? Love, love. protection. Love is an aspect of this. It is how it is demonstrated. It is what she feels. It's what she needs. Acceptance. What she requires. Security. 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 It is security. You must, as a husband, provide security to your wife emotionally, physically, and all of that. And in so doing, that is how you love her. You demonstrate your love because you provide financial security, emotional security, physical security, and so forth. What she's supposed to provide to you? But you have to look at canned response because you tossed out the canned response. Canned response? Respect. respect. Love and respect. That's exactly right. Oh, did I mess that one up? Did I say it already? You said security and respect, I guess. 
I don't remember saying the word respect. Did I say respect? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you see what you're saying? I, no, no, no. It, it was supposed to be love from the husband and respect from the wife. Ah. Is what he was oh, saying. Oh, I got you. Okay. That's so kind I, of standard. I, I torqued it. Yeah. But yeah, res- <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Okay. Deference. No. Yeah. We know where he's going. <laughs> oh, right. that's right. Right. No, that's we right. know where he's going. <laughs> so, yeah, it is respect. She, she should respect you. But, you know, with you guys here, you got to be respectable. <laughs> I mean, if you walk around with your underwear on all the time and you know you're scratching where you ought not hey, scratch, hey, there's nothing wrong. Right. Yeah. It's really comfortable. Yeah, I know it's comfortable, guys. <laughs> talking commando or what? <laughs> what do you want? Well, I can tell you this. Um, I, I, I and I, I, I am unable to to give you the comment that I was going to because I have not. I, I can do this because I, I always want to get permission to to, uh, to say things. Um, but I can tell you that my wife is very conscious that she has her makeup on and she is dressed before she comes out of that bedroom door every day. And I tell you that so that you recognize that when she comes out of that door at 5.30, quarter to 6 in the morning, there's no one here but her own children and me. She comes out ready to be presentable. I have learned that that's a really good lesson that I should take to heart. Maybe it fits in your life as well. I've noticed that I never catch my father-in-law, of whom I have great respect. I've never seen him in any state of disarray. And I get up really early in the morning, especially when I'm at his house, because I just want to beat him to the couch for prayer time. He's always properly attired and presentable. Someone could come to the door, and he is ready to greet guests. And protect himself. And protect himself. (laughs) Always. And I think that's something that we should consider. Yes, sir. Rabita Junkers in her book, The Committed Marriage, talks about this issue, and she talks about the fact that, um, in a sense, you shouldn't show more deference to complete strangers than you would show to your own family. And she focuses on, on the issue of clothing, and it's interesting because um, the sages even go so far as dictating that you be dressed in prayer when there's nobody else around. Right. Um, that's why you don't you don't, don't, pray, pray, you don't, don't pray in the bathroom. You don't pray barefoot. It's one of the things traditionally, um, and and um, and so in a sense, it's like there's a there's a respect uh, there that's that's unique. There's a story in Rabbi Nagar's book where she talks about a rabbi who goes home, and he gets to the door of his home. He's been out. He gets to the door of his home with his disciples, and he starts making himself up and making sure everything's neat and tight and clean and. His disciples are completely baffled. They're like, you're home now. Like, of all times to be straightening up, it would have been when you left the house, not when you arrived. <laughs> um, uh, although I'm sure he did both. But then he said that um, he was straightening himself up because in the merit of his wife, the Shekhinah, God's presence, rested on his home. How that cool is, is that? How cool that is, is that? that is actually, actually, that's more true than you can imagine. You bet. You bet. <laughs> I, I can tell you, gentlemen, that um, I, I was, um, for sake of time, didn't didn't put it into my discussion earlier. But 
the, the fact of the matter is that we tend to be more polite to strangers than to our own family. I will let out the loudest belch and be somewhat proud of it <laughs> in front of my son. But I would never do it in front of a client. Peter's president here. He's worried about you belching. I would, I would, I would adjust my undergarments and so forth in front of my family, but I would never do it in front of you or or a client or something like that. We relax around our family, and unfortunately, it is to our detriment. Because the outgrowth of this man, if you think about it, is exactly why we have PKs and MKs. If you're new to this, you've never been in the Baptist Church or <coughs> other any types of any denomination, actually. Any dis a dispensational. Any dispensational. <laughs> um, you know, missionaries' kids, present company accepted, of course. Missionary kids or, or preacher's kids. Present I mean, company's wife accepted, of course. Right. Present company. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I mean, preachers' kids. I mean, are notorious for being absolutely uncontrollable. Hellions. Right. Why is that? <laughs> Why is that? Well, you know, it's this godly pastor as a father. Why would they be hell on wheels? Why? Because you spend so much time with the other sheep, and also because children see the inconsistency. You bet. Mm. You can see what's being like said publicly and then how the life is lived. Exactly yeah. right. So wow. the inconsistency yes. in the walk and the lack of time and respect provided internally as well as publicly breeds contempt. And they're terrible. Back to my... Present company not accepted. <laughs> and back to, uh, back to Mr. Martin and his example. He... He truly is a, a godly man, and I would encourage you to encourage him in his walk, and in his marriage, and in his lifestyle as a as a dad. Um, I know that when his children are a little bit older, he wants to be here. He wants to interface with you. He wants to hold you accountable and have you do the same to him, and he wants you to influence his son Joshua. That'll be a cool time when he shows up. Of course, they might be influencing us by that time. So, God willing and by will. his grace. Bezrat Hashem. But I tell you what, in the meantime, here's a guy who's paddling that canoe. Not alone. You thought I was going to say alone. He's got to help me that's taking stroke for stroke in the water with him. Because they set out on this journey together 29 years ago. I was going to say, if you get the chance on a Shabbat morning, um, if that's enough time, Mr. Martin is an amazing uh, person to talk to on issues of marriage. Uh, he was one of the men that I requested to pull aside. He very graciously gave me like an hour of his time before work, which is early, by the way. Um, <laughs> and he... Um, he had some very powerful and beautiful things to say, and you can really tell, really tell 
how much he loves his wife. Amen. Yeah, he is a great example. And I can tell you, gentlemen, you are sitting here tonight because of the influence he had on me long before I met any of you. We used to get together every Thursday night. We had a group just like this before we even started the Torah walk, holding one another accountable, asking one another seven questions. And the last question was always, did you lie to me? <laughs> in any of the previous answers? And you'd be surprised how many guys would fold at that point and go, <laughs> I did, I did, I did, I did, I did, such a maggot. <laughs> but anyway, it was a good time. Good time. Do you remember the seven questions? I actually have them written down. We'll, uh, we'll bring them out uh, in two weeks. Uh, next Men week's cry. class. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so basically, that's the class we're supposed to miss. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I wasn't here for that. Class. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be crying. Crying. Do I have an answer that? Actually, in the technicality, I, I think I will be in Paris. <laughs> yeah, in Paris. Right. With a woman. Yeah. Um, I, I can tell you that next week's class is going to be led by one of you. I'm thinking my son, unless one of you steps up to save him. But uh, I will. Hoshina. I will be in the mountains alone with the lady who has my heart. My birthday is on Monday. Got the marriage ceremony on Thursday night. Perfect so, timing. Yeah, it is perfect. So we're leaving Monday morning. I will not be here Tuesday. Do not call me. And uh, one of you, <laughs> Peter, will be Peter interfacing will be, with us. And that's exactly yeah. right. And I may just present with those questions so that you can uh, wrestle. So, yeah, you're going to love those questions. They're right up your alley. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Final comments before we close, gentlemen. This has been good. Has it been good for you? Praise God. I really do hope and pray, not because I have a vested interest, although I do. Yes. I'm sorry. You weren't finished, were you? I was going to close with that. Go ahead. Oh, oh I'm Go. sorry. I was just going to say, for everybody including you, this doesn't end after you're married. Amen. The, t the discussions about marriage, the advice about marriage, the talking about it, I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, it was incredibly helpful before marriage, but it is still just as helpful now for me. And, and this and like is I excellence. Said, we, we need to keep this up. So. 20, 30 years into it, you need the reminders, you need the fresh look. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Excellent point. After you make 32, it's Oh, hosting, man. Hosting. Hosting. I do pray. Again, not because I have a vested interest, but because I've, I've got to know you and I love you to death. I do hope and pray that you have a marriage that is so stellar that it, over time, causes people to simply look in awe with desire. And I sure hope you'll have the temerity to be able to look at them and say, I married up. <laughs> Actually, next time there's a marriage advice thing, that's going to be the phrase. Is that a good one? I, I married, married up. up. That gets <laughs> way over you. Every man <laughs> marries up. They really do. All men marry up. That's but right. I, yeah. I hope that you'll have the, the opportunity you really to, share, <laughs> to, sh to share the truths that have made your marriage awesome. Because 
Your wife will have very little to do with it. It'll be all about you. That's why you're the focus of the wedding ceremony. You're the one who represents Messiah. You're the one that she will look to, and you're the one who's responsible for the tenor of the whole marriage. That's why the scripture says that a sad wife is a rebuke to her husband. It's the only reason. Because why would she be sad? If she's with a representative of Messiah himself, why would she be sad? Unless he's a jerk. <laughs> and he's got to grow. Or, sadly, he's actually never grown. And she's given up hope. I believe, looking back, that's what makes them sad. She's given up hope. Yes, sir. Uh, a really influential man told me the other day, he said, if just as the moon, if the moon ever ceases to, sign, to, to shine, it's because the sun lost mm -hmm. its flare. If a wife ever ceases to shine, it's because her husband lost yeah. his flare. Exactly right. That's yeah. cool. That's good. And biblical. So if there's any a problem in the relationship, I mean, I don't know whose fault that would be. <laughs> probably hers. She should actually probably fix it all. It's hard to tell. I'm looking for counsel here. <laughs> Some advice. Direct me. There's a comment down the street. There's a Actually, the phrase was wrong. It's not your fault, fix it. It doesn't matter whose yeah, fault it is. Fix it. it. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. All right, let me find that very cool prayer. Oops. Yeah, I'm looking at it. I'm looking. That didn't start until you walked in. Discover the bedroom luxury. Honestly, that had been going for an hour straight. What? That darn clicking noise. It's stuck in a whirlwind. I know. I don't know. It'll yeah, never stop. Yeah, exactly. I can't find it. You're the last one to come in. You must have bumped it. Yeah, I'd howl. That or maybe, maybe my, my very small magnet on my money clip is just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> magnetic personality. Mmm. Mm. You're biased. It's a little acidic. <laughs> it's a little acidic. Okay. Enough with the cabal. It's moving back and forth. It's not just pulling the stretches. Maybe I'm just polarizing. Mm. <laughs> Maybe it's those mercury-filled light bulbs. Is your problem? There's, there's so there's the photon output. Is extraordinary. Wow. You mentioning that has caused it to cease. <laughs> your words. <laughs> Uh, this is, uh, again, we've heard this before. Uh, when the rabbis of old would leave each other at the study hall of Rabbi Ami, they would say one to another, you shall see your world in your life, which means that the things that you're praying for in your life will actually come to pass in your lifetime. And your end shall be with the life of the world to come and your hope for many generations. 
May your heart ponder and achieve understanding. May your mouth speak wisdom, and may your tongue bring forth song. May your eyelids look straight before you. Thank you, Job. Make that covenant, baby. May your eyes be enlightened by the light of Torah, and may your face shine like the brightness of the sky. May your lips utter knowledge, and your kidneys, that is your heart, rejoice in righteousness, and your feet run to hear the words of the ancient of days. Amen. Amen. How cool would it be to be able to talk like that without having to read it? <laughs> Think it up. That's right. Praise God. Thank is that, you, man. Is that Watch less television. Yeah, watch less television. That will do it. Thank you, people, for that comment. Thank you very much. That's Praise God. Joshua, <laughs> Mazel Tov. Can't wait to hear it. Yes, indeed. Well, gentlemen, uh, have some, uh, have a glass of wine with me. Give us some wine.